All right, guys. We just sang some carols, and I don't know about you, but that put me in the Christmas spirit. You excited about Christmas? Everybody got their tree up and decorated? Yeah? No? Wrong question. I'm going to pray over you guys, okay? Lord, I ask that during this Christmas season, that light that we sing about would shine bright in their hearts to give them understanding of the meaning of why you came to earth and came to die for our sins. Lord, just let it be personal and real. By your Holy Spirit, I pray that your presence would just settle into them and inspire and instill deep faith, for without faith it's impossible to please you and know you. So we pray that you will activate faith in these children's hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you, Audra, for holding the fort while your husband's in Mexico. <laughs> Josh had to run to Mexico, take a flight down there on a mission to help in, do some interventionist work for some missionaries who are needing some encouragement. So let's pray for Josh. So, All right. Well, the early service, Frankie leaned over to me and said that she was ready to take some notes. And I said, well, hold on, because it's going to be good. <laughs> Not because anything I have to say. I'm just sitting there a moment ago just feeling so um, in, incapable of expressing what I know deep down in my inner knower. <laughs> about There's just like a level of knowing that you know and see in Scripture, but I feel like I have such limited capacity to explain it. So, Lord, I just pray that you will empower me right now to have words and to have clarity of understanding and let your, let your Holy Spirit just come upon all of us, God, to dispense us with heavenly understanding so that our faith will grow and our faith will know what you have done for us, Father. And, uh, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each Sunday in December, we're opening our hearts to this prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, about the coming age of the Messiah King. And last week, we were struck by the way that Isaiah introduces that prophecy, actually back in verse 2 of chapter 9, with the description of what the age of the Messiah King will look like. And he said it this way. He said that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So Isaiah says that the age of the Messiah King will ignite a light of uh, unquenchable design and capacity. It will be un an unquenchable light. I don't know how to say that right. Unquenchable. Am I saying it right? Unquenchable? Okay, good. Doesn't sound right to me. Unquenchable. There we go. So this unquenchable light, a light that cannot be put out, will expel a kind of darkness that is covering the earth. Okay, so that's just an interesting metaphor that describes the coming of Christ. And then the next thing he says, that this unquenchable light will come to the world through the birth 
of an unusual child with an uncommon name. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then the next thing that is striking about what Isaiah says about the coming new age of the Messiah King is that there will be a realm on earth where uh, he will govern. So he introduces it saying there's a land of deep darkness where the light will shine. And then he says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, what will this government look like is the question that comes to my mind that I want to ask today. It's interesting that Jesus was actually asked a similar question by the Pharisees when the Pharisees wanted to know what the kingdom would, when the kingdom would come. And by asking when the kingdom would come, they were asking also uh, that um, how would we recognize it when it came? And so that's how Jesus answered the question. He says in Luke 17, 20, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. But for behold, the kingdom of God, he said, is in the midst of you. Okay? So the reign of God on earth will not be what we think it is. Uh, it will be misunderstood. It will look different than we expect it to be, different even than what we want, different than what we think it should look like. And it will leave us with, leave human beings with unmet, unfulfilled expectations. And that's why many people miss Jesus, because they misunderstood the nature of why he came and the kingdom that he brought. So this child will come to govern in an in, in a unusual way, in a new way, a different way on earth. So what will this government that is on his shoulders actually look like? If it's true what Isaiah prophesied back in chapter 7, verse 14, that a virgin shall give birth to a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, then how will we recognize his presence if God and when God is with us? And so here's my main thought I want to work on and develop today in our thinking together is that the Messiah will be a king you can't observe governing over an unseen realm. He governs with an unseen presence over an unseen realm. And so as Isaiah described it in verse 2, it will be a dominion of light not darkness. It will be a healing kingdom full of truth and light. So the, think of the word government for a moment that is on his shoulders. It means that Jesus will put the condition of fallen humanity on his shoulders. A child is born and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This government means he will take responsibility to fix what is broken in our world. Um, the government points to a kingdom that this child is going to bring to earth. It will be unlike any other kingdom on earth. It will be a heavenly uh, 
kingdom in nature, a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that will be all pervasive and will fill the human heart. Um, it will not operate like any earthly kingdom of human might and power. It will operate, the Bible says, by spirit power, by by my spirit, says the Lord. This government will be based on a covenant relationship, not a requirement, but a relationship, a love relationship. It will be like James described it, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As Paul described it, it will function as a faith that works by love. That's how this government works, not by uh, requirement, but by a relationship of love. And the word government also means the establishment of, of laws and order that will result in anarchy and lawlessness coming to an end on earth. This government will set the terms for the healing of the universe, for the one who brings this kingdom to earth and reigns over all is the one who created it all. And he, he of all knows how it all works, right? And so this kingdom of healing is a kingdom that we must surrender to if we want to be part of this glorious new kingdom. In verse 14, it says this in 7.14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So if that is true, and if it's true that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, for unto us a child is born and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. If all of that is true, then here's the question. Why don't we see him governing? And why does it not look like his kingdom of peace has come to earth? I want to answer that question in four ways. First of all, the answer to the question has to do with the unseen nature of his presence. And we need to recognize, first of all, that it is an invisible spiritual kingdom for Jesus said in John 18:36 my kingdom is not of this world it's of a different nature notice he said it is my kingdom that means he's not only the herald of the kingdom but he's the head of the kingdom in other words the kingdom is his own presence in the world it's his kingdom my kingdom and he did not say the kingdom is not in the world. He did not say my kingdom is not in this world. He said the kingdom is in the world, but it's not of the world. It's not like the world. He, he said, in other words, he's saying I will be reigning in this world in an unseen way. The government on his shoulders is not a government institution like we think of them. It does not mean the Messiah will come to defeat the Romans or the Russians. 1 John 3.8 says who he comes to defeat. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's the nature of his kingdom. He's at war against the evil kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said in Luke 17, 20. The kingdom of God, in other words, is the reign of God in the human heart. It is God's presence in our heart. That's the goal of the gospel, for God's presence 
to be in our heart. Jesus did not come to establish a kingdom over a piece of real estate. He came to set up the domain of his reign in our human heart. This kingdom is therefore inward. It is spiritual. It can exist therefore anywhere and everywhere, wherever the Holy Spirit is invited and welcome into human hearts because this kingdom is the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to share something with you just to give you an insight into what I just said to, to support what I just said. As Luke closes his gospel, we know if you've been in my gospels class that Jesus' main message that he preached was the kingdom of God. Began the gospels with that and he ends the gospels. So here in Luke, Luke's gospels ends gospel ends with these words. Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on a third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now notice here, this is where I'm getting to. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's, of course, referring to the Holy Spirit. Luke actually writes a twofold gospel. Uh, he writes it to Theophilus. So the second part of the gospel is actually the book of Acts. And so book of Acts begins with Luke describing the same statement of Jesus again to begin the book of Acts. And he says, and while, no, let me back up. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them, to the disciples after his resurrection uh, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is, when you think of kingdom of God, think of the presence of God on earth. And the presence of God comes to earth, first of all, in the presence of his son. And then Jesus said, when he, before he's ascending on high, after his resurrection, I'm going to send you the promise of my father. The promise of the Father is the promise of his reign on earth, the kingdom of God coming to the earth through the presence of God on earth. Now during the church age between Jesus' first coming and his second coming through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. There it is again, that statement which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said to them, it's not for you to know, or, or rather, look at the question they asked them. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea 
and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So think of witness as carrying the presence of Jesus wherever we go. That's witness, where we bear a witness to Jesus through how the presence of Jesus within us changes our lives. Well, that's a digression. I hope it doesn't put me way over my time. I just feel like you need to understand that to know why it is that in what I mean when I say his kingdom is an invisible spiritual kingdom. It's spiritual in the sense it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that's within us right now during this church age time period. And we'll get to that in a moment. The second answer to this question about the nature of the kingdom and why it's in its nature an unseen realm is that this is a kingdom without borders. This kingdom is present here on earth, but it's not defined by geographical borders. Um, in 2 Timothy 2.9, the apostle Paul said, the word of God is not bound. In, in the context there, he's meaning it's not kept in prison. It can go beyond prison walls. There's the boundaries and prison walls do not confine it nor define it. I love what the great pioneer missionary to Arabia, Samuel Zwemer, said. The kingdoms and the governments of this world have frontiers which are guarded and must not be crossed. But the gospel of Jesus Christ knows no frontier. It never has been kept within bounds. In other words, we have maps. And our maps in our world are filled with lines. There's lines on the maps. But if we could see a map of Christ's kingdom, there would be no lines. For the citizens of this country are ransomed from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. So in other words, the gospel is at work in our world. It's spreading across borders. It cannot be held back. It cannot be contained. It's spreading to the ends of the earth. Neither the gates of hell nor the borders of the most God-hating regimes on earth can prevail against Jesus. No countries are closed to Christ in the true sense of the word. They may be closed to us because we can't get a visa or we can't get a passport to go there, but they're not closed to Jesus. The government of his kingdom cannot be contained by borders. Listen to, again, Jesus' answer to the Pharisees that asked about the nature of the kingdom and the timing of the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, oh, look, there it is. Or, or look, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, his government is unhindered by human boundaries and borders. And I was thinking about this morning as I was driving in, or Frankie was driving in, and I had the light on the car. So thankful for my wife that's willing to drive in the cold and the dark, the snowy roads of Arctic Alaska while her, her husband rides in the passenger seat refreshing his sermon. And I got thinking about this, the idea of the gospel crossing boundaries. And I thought about Jesus' conversation with the woman at Sychar, the woman of Samaria, and and what he said to her. Remember how it says in John's gospel, Jesus left Judea. In other words, these are 
boundary lines, right? Places. Left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. And he sat down at a well because he was tired of his journey. And there he met a woman of Samaria who she was there to draw water. And Jesus said to her, could you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, this is a boundary question. How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She was amazed that Jesus was willing to cross boundaries. Um, what, what boundary would that be? Not a geographical boundary, but a uh, culture, cultural boundary from, from many respects, a man to a woman and a Jew to a Samaritan. So this is a boundary issue. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that was saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And it, it makes me think, well, Jesus, um, he, he's thinking kingdom thoughts, right? He's thinking on a whole different level, my, uh, uh, in a level that's not like this world. So when, when he talks about water, he's talking about water, <laughs> you know. So there's water, and then there's water, <laughs> right? So think of it that way, about a whole different, a whole different way of thinking. And then... And, and, he, and he goes on and explains that to her. She's woman's surprise. Uh, Sir, how how can you, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep? Where will you get that kind of living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, and he kind of explains this kingdom thinking now. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. One of the most amazing statements Jesus made, never thirsty. And I, I lean into that. I, I lean in. I want, I want to be never thirsty, Jesus. I want that never thirsty gift of, of God. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or ever have to come here to draw water again. <laughs> and Jesus said to her, go call your husband. So he moves into another kingdom reality. Your husband, well, that's going to trigger something in her life because the woman answered him, says, well, I have no, no husband. And Jesus said, mm-hmm, you're right in saying that to me, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are now with is not your husband. What you have said to me is true, that I have no husband. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you must be a prophet. <laughs> Very perceiving, right? <laughs> Our fathers worship. So, so there's the second thing. There's water, and then there's water, but then there's power, but then there's power. And that, that woman had experienced power in relationships that had probably been abusive and hurtful. You know, so there's the power systems of our world, but then there's the power of Jesus, the power of perception and healing and promise and wholeness. So there's, there's water, then there's water. There's power, and then there's power. And then that brings up then another question about where is God and where do we worship, go to worship God? And, and um, I'm trying to find my place here. 
The woman answers him and says, Sir, I perceive that your prophet, our fathers, worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, see, this is, a, the, again, a boundary issue, a place issue. Where is God? Where is God present in our world? Well, it's, it's not in a particular place not on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father, but you will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So there's water, and then there's water, there's power, but then there's power, there's presence, and then there's presence. And so our gospel is unbounded in every way. It's unrestrained. It's uncontained. Our God is king over all the hard and impossible places, and his saving work is never, can never be stopped by borders or bricks or barbed wires, right? No wall made by hand nor the heart of man is a match for the king who has scars in his hands. He can go anywhere. And I was thinking of that a moment ago. So there's little Frankie, little Frankie, who goes to Chugiak every day, going where I cannot go. John, going up to Matt, is it? No, it's Sioux Sioux Valley. Melanie going to Sioux Valley. Going to, this is all of you, all of you, all of you have that story where you go during the week to doctor's office and dentist's offices, everywhere we go. We're, we're, we're crossing boundaries. We're carrying the gospel in places with the, by the Spirit of God within us, penetrating the world. This kingdom is coming and it has no boundaries. It has no respect for boundaries. The spirit of God can go anywhere. You see that happening? <laughs> Frankie, she, she, uh, she plays games with the devil. She kicks the teeth out of the devil. She will put scriptures over the door, posts of her door. She puts posts scriptures under the desk of the students, and she will pray over the students when they're unruly. That's not fair, right? <laughs> the third thing is that this kingdom is present in human hearts, and it's expanding, therefore, one heart at a time. In other words, we enter this kingdom not by being forced to. We enter this kingdom by faith. This kingdom comes to people who welcome the king, the son who is given. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God unto salvation. The the kingdom of God will be realized. It will come to people who believe, who receive, who welcome the presence of the king. The gospel has power to change lives, but it only changes the life of the individual who believes and receives. The government that is on his shoulders, that is his presence, is given only to those who welcome that presence, welcome his kingdom into our hearts. So the fact is that there are many people 
still alive that still exist in our world who resist and refuse to accept the son who is given and the government that is on his shoulders. Therefore, for that reason, there are so many people in places that do not live in this kingdom of peace. And that's because they've not surrendered to the government that is on his shoulders. Jesus solemnly warned us of that fact in Matthew 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then... He said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So in other words, the reason why we don't yet see peace on earth that we would hope to see is because there still exists rebellion against this kingdom on earth. And there's a clash between two kingdoms. And I want to talk about that next week, more about the clash between two kingdoms. But the point is that Jesus never forces anyone to live in his kingdom. It is, it is received by welcoming him. It has got to be an individual response of love and gratitude that says, I want you and I invite you and I welcome you, Lord, into my life because we're invited in. As it says in Revelations, he's standing at the door and he's knocking, right? And he's being invited in. And we're invited to enter by faith and surrender. And he reigns only in hearts that are willing to cooperate with the government that is on his shoulders. And that's why Matthew's gospel records exactly the first words that Jesus ever preached. His sermon that he preached, he came to this world to preach these words. And these are important words. He says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. This was his message. This was his sermon. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why does he prefix the kingdom of heaven is near with the words and the requirement, repent of your sins and turn to God? Because Jesus' first sermon established repentance as the requirement for entering Christ's kingdom. Repentance means to turn around. It means to change your mind so that we enter Christ's kingdom by giving up reliance on all other false truths and false rely, uh, reliances and false hopes by welcoming the son that was given to reign with his government in our hearts. So Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of like Frankie and I have a little flip chart of scriptures and promises in our bathroom that we flip over for a new one every day. You know, you can buy those in the bookstores and and this week there was a quote from Chuck Swindoll on the page from his book, Growing Deep in the Christian Life, and it caught my eye. He said that if I could have only one wish for God's people, it would be that all of us would return to the word of God, that we would realize that his book has the answers for us. 
The Bible is the authority, the final resting place of all of our cares, worries, griefs, tragedies, and sorrows. And it is the final answer to all of our questions, the end of our search. So the kingdom is expanding by people receiving and responding to Jesus' call to come under his government by faith. To, by faith means to trust that he knows how the world's supposed to function. He knows how his created people were designed to live. Who knows better and best than the one who manufactured us, who created us. It's his world. He knows how it should work. And so faith is accepting that fact that he's our creator. We're his by double ownership because he designed us and created us. And by his redemption, he redeemed us and purchased us and ransomed us at his cross. And so we're his by double possession. So the kingdom is expanding as one person at a time comes to him and welcomes him and trusts him and surrenders to him. God has not called us then to enforce his commands on an unredeemed world. We cannot force anyone into his kingdom. Every individual has to make a personal decision to welcome the king to reign in their hearts. That's why he said, if, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you will believe that, you will be saved. So the mission of Christians is not to strive to take worldwide dominion and set up a Christian kingdom in our world. It's to share the gospel of salvation with the world, to carry his presence with us wherever we go. And so there's a, th a final fourth answer to this question. Why does it not look like this kingdom of peace has come to earth? And that is that the kingdom arrives in two stages. <clears throat> when Isaiah said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, he was seeing this kingdom arriving. But the kingdom that arrived in Jesus' birth is growing gradually and developing slowly, progressing ploddingly, just like a child develops and grows. It's kind of an interesting metaphor. Unto you a child is, why did he come as a child? Unto you a son is born. Why did he come like a young child, a baby in the manger that had to grow up? Why not an instant God, man. <laughs> it's like maybe that's a metaphor to give us a hint of the nature of his presence on earth is, is progressive and gradual and develops over time. And so here's an interesting um, grid that has helped me put this together in my thinking. That the victory of the kingdom, remember the victory over the kingdom. He says, we wrestle not against principalities or we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right, our our problem is not even. Um, I guess this is correct to put it. This, our problem is not the Chinese. Our problem is not um, um, the, the Iraqis. Our our problem is not flesh and blood. It's not people. It's not even the Canadians. Um, the problem is 
spiritual darkness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. So Jesus came to destroy not governments, but the work of the devil. So the victory of the kingdom is a victory over Satan, and it will be accomplished in three stages. Two uh, events, his, his first advent or his first birth, his first coming, and his second coming, and in between the two is a parenthesis of time that we're living in right now called the church age or the age of the spirit. So at his first coming, as you see there on the screen, the notes that Christ's first coming, he broke Satan's power. It's what Paul meant in Colossians when he says, and having, after Jesus' resurrection, his cross and resurrection, his ascension, he disarmed, disarmed, the powers and authorities. That's kind of like he took the bite out of the devil. He kicked his teeth out, right? Uh, he disarmed the devil and he made a public spectacle of him, triumphing over him by the cross. So in his first coming, he disarmed or he broke Satan's power. Now what's happening right now between his first and second coming is he's undoing Satan's work. Christ is present with us right now. He's ascended at the right hand of the Father, and he's not dilly-dallying, waiting until he comes again. He's at work. He's not sitting at a bus station ready for God to bring the bus so he can go back to earth. He's, he's at work. He's employed. He's interceding for us. He's invested his church with with a purpose and a mission to carry on the works of Jesus here by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that it says in John 14, 12, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. We're here to do the works of Jesus, the works that he did. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That doesn't mean that I will do more miracles than Jesus. I mean, there's, there's, there's more of us to do them, right? We can spread out across the earth, carrying the presence of Jesus and doing greater works. Matthew 6, 9, and 10, he tells us how we are to pray. And I just love this. He says, we are to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In other words, your presence come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we see his kingdom come? Why don't we see more peace on earth? Well, here is the power and the genius of why we are called to pray. We can, by our prayers, ask God to go in unseen places and penetrate places across borders, to go in hard places, in, in, in homes and villages and down streets and, and in relationships and in places of employment, in governments and everywhere around the world. We have the power to come to God and pray that his kingdom presence would come in those situations because the nature of this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And then the third stage, as it were, is his second coming when he will 
destroy Satan's kingdom when he comes in full glory. And John described it in Revelation 21. He said, behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God will be present with his people. The dwelling of God will be with man. That is the goal of the gospel. That's what God longs for. That's why he created us in the first place. And it's what he's redeemed us to be, to be his children that live with him under his benevolent love and care. Now, I have a little graphic here that helped me to put this together in my mind of the mystery of the kingdom, of how the Messiah comes in two stages, in his first coming and his second coming. And we have the privilege, the awesome privilege and responsibility to be living right now between those two times. And it's not a time to be on vacation. <laughs> we are deployed to continue doing the works of Jesus, to undo the works of the devil through the power of God's spirit. And I want to give you one of my favorite verses. I don't think I have this for a screen, um, but it's uh, uh, my favorite verse that describes the nature of the church, who we are as the church. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, Two. He said, in him, you are being built together. So we're built, to, he's bringing us together. It's just amazing. We were having a conversation after the, the first service about how God never wastes relationship. And, and you guys came up from Washington and, the, and another couple here were the first service. The, what's their names? The, the, the Taylors. Yeah, Brent and Taylor. They, they came from the same town and attended the same church. And how did that happen? Like, uh, you, you didn't orchestrate it, but God is building relationships together. God is building us together. He's brought us together, not by chance, but by design. And he's building us together to do what? To be the dwelling place of God. God for a place of God's presence. Where is God in our world? Where, where do we go to find God? We find him dwelling in the midst of his people together. The dwelling place of God by the spirit. <laughs> the spirit of God that indwells us. Puts us together as one family and we become his presence on earth. We have a job, friends, to carry on the works of Jesus during this parentheses of time between his first coming and his second coming. As Paul said in Ephesians 3, to me this grace was given to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages in God. The church is the mystery that was hidden, that people didn't understand in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Oh, that's, that's heavy, man. That's heavy stuff. <laughs> that through the church, somehow, 
we're, we're doing something in the heavenly realms. We're, we're kicking the teeth out of the devil. We're undoing the works of Satan. So that means we need to do it in the spirit of Christ, yeah. <laughs> in the way of Christ, right? In the image of Christ. So when Jesus was born, here's, here's the point I want to end with. The future invaded the present. God has a future plan in mind, and it's not here yet, but it's, it's arrived, but it's not arrived. It's, it's, uh, it's now, but it's not yet. It's already present, but it's not fulfilled. It's like George Elton Ladd in his book on the kingdom of God. He said, the future has invaded the present. The kingdom of God, which is yet to come in power and glory, had not had already come in a secret and hidden form to work among men and within them. And Jesus used parables to describe the nature of this kingdom in this way, that it will advance over time. He used the parable of the mustard seed and how it starts as just a little bitty seed, right? But it has extensive organic growth, organic growth. Like it, it grows through relationships. It grows from within. It grows through ch the church and uh, God sending us around the world uh, to penetrate the, the kingdom of darkness with his light. And then there's the parable of the leaven and how it just has this intensive growth, this pervasive growth. It just, a little bit of leaven and it just does so much, right? These are parables Jesus taught about the nature of the kingdom. So the kingdom is both now and not yet. It's arrived secretly without observation, escaped many people's observation. As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, there it is, or there, here it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So in the, in the early stage of the kingdom, at the time of the birth of Christ's coming, the kingdom is hidden. It's unobtrusive. He's a babe in a manger in an unknown, remote, rural village of Bethlehem. But as it advances, the kingdom of God becomes this irresistible spiritual force. That's why he says that it will start in Jerusalem. It will go around the world. It's going to be pervasive, and it's going to be irresistible in its force that grows and advances and ultimately triumphs against the gates of hell. That's what Jesus told Peter when he renamed him, and he said, upon the the confession of your faith in me, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the gates is what is defending hell. So it's the church that's on the offensive kicking in the gates of hell, not the reverse, right? And so he said, then I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And everybody that completely understands that say amen. <laughs> oh, it's deep, isn't it? May we live up to to that, this gradual, progressive, hidden advancement of the kingdom. It's referred to as a mystery, the hidden secret of the kingdom. Jesus said and unto them, unto you, to his disciples, it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. He spoke in parables so that they wouldn't know, so it'd be concealed. 
So the hidden secret is that the Messiah comes in two stages, so the kingdom develops between these two events. The age of the Spirit is the age we're living in now. I'm going to close it there, but I just pray. Lord, let's pray. Father, I ask that you will enlarge our capacity to grasp where we are at in the timeline of your grand span of salvation history and that we're part of something big. We're part of a big dream, a big vision, something you are, you created earth to be and do, and you have every intention to not punt, kick earth out of oblivion, but to redeem it, to restore it, to renew it, and make it whole again, and that we're part of that story, and that you've invested us with confidence and responsibility way up here in Willow, Alaska, to do our part as your church, people being built together by the power of the Holy Spirit to carry your presence, to be your godly, holy influence wherever we go. So I pray that, Lord, we'll put our shoulders back, that we'll lift our chin up with faith and hope and confidence to know who we are as the children of God and that we have a purpose to live for. We have a mission to guide us wherever we are. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless your people, fill them, clothe them, baptize them with your Holy Spirit right now that as they go into the communities, the places of employment, the homes where we live, the dysfunctions of our society, we pray that you will bring wholeness and healing as you carry the presence of your people. Give us words to say, the right words to say when a word needs to be said. Give us the spirit of peace and in our hearts, Lord. Give us the atmosphere of contagious joy as we carry your presence, Father. We just thank you for this message. I pray that you will change our entire life because of this grand vision that you have outlined for us and help us to understand our place in the middle of your story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we close, let's stand together. And I want to invite you, if you want to come forward, anybody needs to pray, Jesus said, pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And I left out Aubrey when I talked with school teachers a while ago. Aubrey just got a, an offer of employment this week to go into a school. So, yeah, it's God's at work, folks. See what I mean? God's at work. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're called to do, God has a purpose for you. So let's... Sing this wonderful Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, that night when Jesus came and brought his presence to our world.